Welcome to season four of the Fit Farming Food Mom podcast. Connie is a world champion powerlifter, former bodybuilder, and an elite trainer and nutrition coach. As a movement enthusiast and health nerd, she is here on this show to speak with educated guests and dive into the realm of all things health, fitness, mindset, and everything in between. If you enjoy this show, please do us a huge favor by smashing the like or subscribe button and leaving a review. Now, let's get to the show. Hey friends, I'm sure you're busy this week. We have the holidays coming up, the big Christmas one first here. So thank you so much for tuning in. Today I'm really excited to have an awesome episode with Aram Gregorian. He is the owner of Four Weeks to the Beach. He hates to call himself a fat loss coach because they dive into everything as far as mindset and approaches and what works and what doesn't. And he is just an awesome human, has excellent content out there on the internet. And today he is going to join us and give us some of his pearls so that when you're jumping into those New Year's resolutions, you come into it with some realistic expectations and you can make the most of your health and fitness journey. So really excited for that. Don't forget the new LMNT winter flavors are out. They are for hot drinks. I have been so crazy about them. Um, like I can't even decide a favorite flavor, but it's definitely a toss up between the chocolate chai and the raspberry chocolate. Uh, pop on over, try them out for yourselves. Drinklmnt.com forward slash Connie. That'll also get you a free sample pack uh, with any of your purchases and they have a money back guarantee guys. So if you do not like the product like I do, then you can literally tell them they will give you your money back and you can share it with a friend that maybe will like it instead. So, uh, excellent company. I love Rob and what they are doing and I am happy to be promoting for them because they are just excellent humans with an excellent product. So drink forward slash Connie, go check it out. Without further ado, here is Aram Gregorian. All right, Aram, super excited to have you coming on the podcast. We've chatted back and forth quite a bit. Uh, Krista, she connected us. And it's funny because we were both at Swiss too. And we just missed each other. We didn't even get to meet in person. But, uh, you know, I saw you scootering around plenty. And then now I put two and two together and I was like, Oh, he was the guy on the scooter. Yeah, it was my uh, it was my eye walk, my pirate's leg that I was bouncing around on, which has now been off for two and a half weeks. Which is probably feels great considering you were on like a conference run there for a bit and uh, having to do it all with one leg. Well, it's gonna suck now that I can actually I don't get any special concessions at the airport anymore. I might just put it. I might just throw the boot back on and put the leg back on for when I fly. Nice. Um, why not? I mean, everybody else has special accommodations for bullshit. I might as well have it too. Well, that's like the new one. Was is it Southwest Airlines says if you have a shoulder width over seventeen inches, you can get two seats, one for free, and it's it's geared towards the the people of size, right? But how many bodybuilders do you know that are they're freaking giant and they're sitting in there all wedged in? I'm sure they're probably not going to get that treatment. So I wonder. I was actually thinking about the other day. I was I was going to start a conversation on Instagram about it because I wanted to just see how many Karens were going to come out of the woodwork and fuck with me about it. But that's an excellent point, right? Because how many male bodybuilders specifically are probably as wide as your general fat guy? Mm-hmm. They're not going to get the same concession. They might. I doubt it. But mm-hmm. now we're not like the word fat is apparently offensive, even though it's literally what the word is. Like there's fat in food and there's fat in your body it's a physiological and scientific term but that apparently is offensive but it's not offensive to get yourself to a place where you're so big that you have to take up that much more space on an airplane and now other people have to suffer because of it and then not be able to get the same treatment as you Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I've had like, I dealt with this when I was hobbling around on my leg. I was asking, I was like trying to, my whole life is like, I don't want to make anybody else's life impacted because of my existence. So I want to inconvenience people as little as possible. Mm-hmm. So when I got on the plane, I'm like, listen, I'll sit in the back seat all the way by the toilet. Is it possible if you guys aren't in a full flight, can I get my own seat so I can, my own row so I could throw my leg up? Cause I, I'm fresh out of surgery. My inflammation is through the roof. My leg mm-hmm. is twice its size. I just need to be able to elevate intermittently throughout the flight. And like one flight, the lady was like, yes, absolutely. No problem. And then two other flights were like, absolutely not. And I looked at the flight. It wasn't full. I could they could have done it, but it's like, it's just this idea of fair versus unfair versus like, is it laziness that causes obesity or is it physiological or is it psychological or is it socioeconomical? Like, I don't care what it is anymore, but at some point we all have to become a little bit less sensitive to verbiage mm-hmm. and we have to be, become more self-aware of ourselves and be okay with whatever the terminology is because mm-hmm. it's just terminology. And like, if words offend you that much, then stay the fuck home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's, that, that, that's been a thing lately. Honestly, people I think are just waiting to get their feelings hurt. That is kind of the society that we're living in. Um, I think somebody got after me on Instagram the other day over a post I had made over weight loss drugs, right? And I said, hey, we can, she owns a med spa. I think it was maybe one of William Grizzone's uh, things. And she owns a med spa. And she's like, no, medically in the trials, this and that and this and the other. And I said, okay. I said, well, we can agree to disagree because I do uh, anywhere from two to 500 freaking cases a year just consultation all of a sudden in this last year i'm seeing lots of people that got a lot of big problems coming out of that so clinically can it be used in a good way i'm sure there are ways we we know it okay you you lose weight you get healthier but there it's being prescribed to people that don't eat aren't even in a critically healthy place you know when 160 pound five foot six female goes on it to binge basically go on like a crash diet it's being, they were like, oh yes, we can give this to you. It's just fine. It's being given to people in, in the incorrect context. And she's mm-hmm. saying, oh, but it can even help with your brain health. And she's like trying to sell it to everybody. Right. And I'm like, listen, I said, you can stick with your medical, what you think the studies are. I said, I'm seeing this stuff in real life and I'm seeing what's going on on every single level. And so we can agree to disagree. I said, it's already proof that coaching is 20 years ahead of the scientific studies when it comes to a lot of this stuff, because we have all of our stuff in the game. So anyway, um, we're we're essentially assembling our own evidence. Like every coach that keeps any type of data I mean, that I, I almost, I think I said this on a podcast once again, I wish like all the good coaches in the industry could just compile their data for the however many years they've been coaching and just submit it blindly to some research facility that will then comb through it and then just pull out all these and extrapolate all these different theses and hypotheses. Mm-hmm. I feel like we would be on the forefront of something huge because we would figure, we, we, we would, we would reinforce that the law of thermodynamics is real and calories mm-hmm. matter. And we would also reinforce the fact that most people that aren't weight loss resistant, they're just non-compliant. Right. And that the percentage of people that actually are not losing weight due to weight loss resistance or hormonal issues is so small and so statistically insignificant that to say that the reason why you're not losing weight is because you're not eating enough becomes one of the dumbest statements on the planet. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. sorry, it, it just is. Like, if anybody's been on earth for long enough and anybody says that, I don't, I'm, I was told that I don't lose weight because I'm not eating enough. How much physical exertion and stress are you under that that right. truly is? And how, how methodically are you under eating? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so, and that's a great bridge for this. So uh, we're coming into new year's resolution time and the fitness and weight loss uh, current climate has gotten really interesting, right? You've got People that are saying, oh, well, you can still enjoy everything that you ever wanted to and and lose weight and it doesn't have to be difficult and there can be balance and there's this and that. Then you got people saying, no, you got to do cardio six days a week. You've got to eat in a caloric deficit. You have, And then you have people that are kind of in the middle where they're like, okay, well, let's kind of like you and I, let's examine the psychology of this, but also have some realistic expectations, right? Uh, and and kind of learning the person as an individual, because there really is no, I mean, you work with 
hundreds of people, you know, there really is no clear cut way. Everybody's a little bit different and that's where good coaching comes in. But so let's dive into what it looks like for some of these people that are just going to be getting started. How do they set realistic expectations and kind of meet themselves where they're at too? Uh, most importantly, just like kind of respect your starting point, like understand what you don't, what you know, and what you don't know, and like what you're good at, what you're not good at. I think a lot of people need to really kind of look at themselves in the mirror and ascertain whether or not they need specific interventions. Like the, people don't need to diet until they can actually determine that they have some type of a meal structure first. Like I think establishing a meal structure and a frequency that's consistent on a daily basis and then measuring the efficacy of that would probably be number one. Like food is always going to be number one. Like, I'm sorry. Like I know mm -hmm. that people like to, it's 20% training and 80% nutrition. I think it's like a hundred percent nutrition. And if you're so athletically inclined or aesthetically inclined, then the training becomes that much more important. Yes. We want strength. Yes. We want muscle. But if we just not, if we just don't want to be fat, then that's just, you could do that purely with food. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and walking really, I mean, we we would need to train ever, but mm -hmm. if you obviously want to have some muscle mass and some strength and prevent sarcopenia and enhance bone mineral density and all that kind of stuff, yes, we do want to strength train. But like, determine whether or not you even have a structure, because most people, on a, like, if you were just to walk around your average daily park and you stopped every single person you walked by and asked them how many meals a day do you eat, uh, how much protein do you consume, uh, what's a carb bread what's a fat oil what's a protein chicken and you're just going to get a lot of these like manufactured cookie cutter answers without much understanding underlying belief behind it so that would be the, the first place i'd start if somebody was brand new to this i'm sure that most of your listeners are probably not wet behind the ears entering into this place without any prior knowledge of anything whatsoever so let's talk about something that's a little bit more intermediate if you're an intermediate person listening this is probably categorizing you properly you got a couple of years of training under your belt you've probably followed a program or two you probably know what a macro is you probably understand where to get protein carbs and fats from now we have to like determine whether or not you're actually consistent with the knowledge that you have are you practicing this stuff 25 out of 30 days a month versus 18 out of 30 days a month because that's a massive difference i think people have these expectations of results, but they're also doing it with the belief system that I can still have my whatever weekends and they're not going to have any impact on me whatsoever. And I'm your perfect example. I can maintain my weight at 3000 calories. Most of the people that are listening to this, if you're a female, that's, let's just say if you're a female and you're not a bodybuilder, you're probably not maintaining weight at 3000 calories. You're probably sitting at somewhere between 14 and 1900 or let's even, even let's say if it's somebody who's consistent, who's been doing this for a while, let's even call it 2200. It is very easy to overconsume calories when that's your budget. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, I proved it this weekend. So, you know, basically I was in a deficit for the week because my coach had me on lower calories just to kind of resensitize the system a little bit. I was isocaloric for like three months after my injury. So isocaloric just means you ate the same amount of calories every day. Um, and he's just like, let's, let's, bring things down. We're going to bring protein to one to 275 from 250. So it was a 25 gram increase there. We dropped carbs from like 300 to 185 and we dropped fat from 75 to 50. So low fat, moderate carb, high protein. Um, and it was challenging to be honest. Like it wasn't easy for me to, I had to move around the pieces of the chessboard a little bit. I had to like bring protein to a place where it was a little bit leaner. So I did, I, I don't normally eat chicken. I'd eat more chicken no eggs, had to do strictly egg whites and egg beaters, um, tuna fish, deli meat, stuff like that, protein powder, uh, a little bit of red beef, but like 96, four ground and only once a day. Cause it, otherwise it would blow my fat out. So it was challenging. Mm -hmm. But then on the weekend, um, got a tin of cookies that was delivered to the house on Friday, which I ended up eating half of, which, so let's call it about 250 grams of chocolate chip cookies, which if you log that in a chronometer, it's about 1700 calories. So that was easily a blowout day. Mm -hmm. Then Saturday got Mediterranean food for takeout at night for dinner, which was calorically controlled, but quality wise, definitely way too much oil. And that fucked me up digestively for the next day. Um, mm -hmm. So that's another meal out. And then Sunday planned pizza night on Sunday night. But prior to that out and about with the dogs, 
stopped and got half of a salmon salad and then split a breakfast flatbread that had like short ribs on it, a little bit of cheese, some kind of a creamy sauce that was lightly drizzled on. It wasn't a messy sauce. And then uh, some, some eggs. Tried to quantify all that. Cause I'm, I'm pretty, I like, I, I make a game out of tracking food. Like I think mm -hmm. some people are so, so obsessed with this idea of either being perfect or this is so annoying. I just, find it to be fun because uh -huh. like i want to see what like what a blowout of cookies looks like yeah you know i want to see what like splitting two 10 inch pies and six chicken wings and all that stuff equates to mm -hmm. so i you know conservatively estimated as well as i could and after 10 years of tracking food my estimation has gotten relatively decent mm -hmm. so i estimated like a 4500 calorie day yesterday you know also some ice cream and a gluten-free brownie on top of that so let's let's say that that you ate that as a woman who's maintaining weight at 1700 calories. Well, you're, you just now went from 1700 to 4,500, essentially three days in a row. Like, mm -hmm. Let's not say maybe 4,500 the second day, but let's say it was 3000. And let's say the first day with cookies was another 3,500. So now what you thought was a deficit or what you thought was maintenance just turned into a surplus. Mm -hmm. And you're doing that weekend after weekend after weekend, and you're stuck and you don't understand why the scale is slowly creeping, slowly, but still creeping up. And you're starting to notice that like things are just slipping out of control. And it's purely just because of that. And I know mm -hmm. that people don't want to hear that because that is a shitty thing to have to think of. Like, oh, well, I'm going to lose my dinners out or I'm going to lose my lunches with my friends or I'm not going to be able to have these boozy brunches that I enjoy. Mm -hmm. Or sometime you won't be able to mm -hmm. because you have to, pick a, you have to pick a lane. Like you can't say that I want to lose fat and I want to feel my best, but I also want to do it however I feel like doing it. Right. There has to be some guardrails up and some barriers up and some control. And there needs to be a level of unbalance until you can find some balance. And you have, I think you, I think balance is one of those things that ends up being earned over time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think we can take that one step further and I'd love your, your take on this, but people will actually get the weight off and they'll be in a maintenance phase mm -hmm. and they'll be, they'll be able to have some more meals out here and there, but then they don't right off the bat gain weight. So then they start making excuses are like well that didn't hurt me so i'm gonna continue to eat out every single day of the week and next thing you know they've fallen back into their old habits because they they kind of just got there gradually because they allowed themselves that extra oh they made that excuse for themselves right like oh it was okay this time so i'm gonna keep going and they end up back in the place where they were at instead of being in a balanced place to just keep cruising in that lane you know what i'm saying and that's where I think the lifestyle part is so important because I battle with this too. I mean, I live in San Diego. I can, I mean, it's four o'clock right now. The sun is shining. If I was to go down towards the beach, everybody would be outside having cocktails, eating tacos, doing the chip thing. And most of my friends here will do that. Like I don't have a lot of fitness friends in San Diego. I have a lot of party friends in San Diego and they're going out to dinner three, four times a week. They're having drinks multiple nights a week. They're living like you're like that to, your normal American lifestyle, right? Like I'm not thinking about fitness or nutrition. So I think where, where I heard this the best was when I was on Dave Tate's table talk podcast, funny enough, I'm wearing the shirt. When I was on Dave's podcast, he had said that most of my audience, one of their top four priorities or two of their top four priorities are training and nutrition. Mm -hmm. If you were to ask your average American, what are your top three or four priorities? I don't think nutrition and training would be on that list. I think it would be like my job, my family. Like, what is your, like, what are you thinking about on an average day basis? And for me, like, I'm thinking about what does my next meal look like? Mm -hmm. What time can I get into the gym today between these hours and the, these hours between phone calls, between work? Like, I'm thinking about that stuff actively. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think most of our clients and most of the people that we try to help are not established in that way because that's not their lifestyle. So they have to actually start to think in those terms. And that first, that is very overwhelming and that could be very cumbersome mm -hmm. because there's no immediate result, right? It's like, I went from not ever thinking about fitness and nutrition to thinking about nutrition and fitness a lot to the point where I'm actually logging my food now too, but yet my body hasn't changed all that much. It's like, well, yeah, because you spent 20 years not thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And now you've spent three weeks thinking about it. So now you got to spend another three years thinking about it. And then maybe you'll start to see something in the mirror that will resemble what you had in your head. 
Mm -hmm. Very often those two things are not reconciled because the realistic expectations just aren't there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, you know, people forget that it took them however many years to unravel or they neglected the amount of years that they just didn't think about stuff or maybe they let other things take priority, which is fine. And I, I don't, I will never blame weight increase on, I just don't give a shit. Cause I think most people, if you ask them, like, do you care about how you look and feel? I think most people will say yes. Mm-hmm. And fat people don't, don't need to be reminded that they're fat. Like they get it. They, mm-hmm. they brush by mirrors every day. They know they're big, mm-hmm. but they stay fat because they haven't changed their identity and they haven't changed the systems in place. Mm-hmm. And people become unhealthy and gain weight because they don't have systems in place and because it stops being a priority. Mm-hmm. In very rare cases, and I'm sure you'd agree, in very rare cases, is it truly something chemical or internal physically that is causing that to happen? Like, yes. Is it possible? Sure. Is that the reason why you specifically are now 30 pounds heavier? Is it more menopause or is it because of your hormones? Or your... No, it's not. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Like, I would need to see an insurmountable amount of evidence to be able to show me that that was the case. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think I made a post about this the other day, right? Because people are like, oh, well, I have hypothyroidism and that's why I can't lose weight. And I said, actually, I'm going to flip this around. Do you have hypothyroidism because you're overweight? Because you don't just instantly develop a condition for no reason. It happened for a reason. And so a lot of these people that are blaming hormone dysfunction and I'm not discounting what's going on here I'm just being real a lot of these people that are blaming hormone dysfunction and thyroid and all this stuff for the reason they gain weight oftentimes they gained though that those symptoms and those imbalances from being overweight and poor lifestyle habits so and that could be a hard thing but everybody's again very sensitive looking for a way out and at this point Sometimes you got to be real with yourself and be like, okay, this is when I'm ready to make a change and nothing's going to change if I don't change my poor habits that are in place. It's hard because again, like, let's say you got to, like, let's say you worked your ass off. I use this example with one of my clients today. I said, if somebody told you that in the next three months, if you were to work 90 hours a week, you would get a three time pay increase and your workload would get cut down to 25 hours a week you would you wouldn't see the light of day for the next three months. You'd be in the office 90 hours a week. You would tell your husband to go fuck himself. You would be an absentee mother. Yep. And you'd be like, for the next three months, if I could just dial it in for 90 days straight, I know that there's this light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, with nutrition and fitness interventions, they don't happen like that. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you could be dialed in. Like I know people that have been super spot on, strict for 90 days straight marginal changes occurred almost almost barely recognizable changes Mm -hmm. now if you're somebody who's 300 pounds and you change your life like that drastically in 90 days you'd probably be down 50 pounds yeah but if you're a 140 50 60 70 pound woman and you're holding on to a little bit of body fat that you determined to be this awful amount of weight which Mm -hmm. it really isn't you're not going to see that much of a difference in 90 days of pure nothing but adulterated, unadulterated compliance. Mm -hmm. So the expectations of results are just too ridiculous because the leaner you are, the harder it is to see the differences. The more fat you have to lose, the easier it is to get to until you lose that initial amount of fat. Now it becomes more of an uphill battle. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's understanding that like the, the protocols and the effort that you exhibited to get from A to B is going to have to be intensified to get from B to C, which will then have to be further intensified to get from C to D. Mm -hmm. And you have to keep stacking habits and adding layers of complexity and compliance and adding layer and removing more and more stuff that's impeding you from getting there. Mm -hmm. So it becomes a very arduous process. And I think that's because it's not really quite enjoyable for people, Mm -hmm. but that's because the result hasn't been enjoyed yet. You know, they found themselves in that middle, whereas you and I, we know that at any moment in time, if we decided to dial it in, we could be fucking dick skin lean. Mm-hmm. And we know that if we wanted to relax that, and if we fell backwards, we wouldn't fall far that back, that ba- mm-hmm. that far back. So we have this very tight window that we live in, whereas most people live in this large level of variability that they can't measure or control. Mm-hmm. Well, and so I feel like, and I would love to get your take on this. I feel like the sweet spot for good coaches I'm not talking if a coach is advertising an eight week challenge and they're going to change your life in eight or 16 weeks. I think you personally should run the hell away, but I think good coaches, like if you have somebody that has a substantial amount of weight to lose, 
I mean, not a 300 pound person, but say somebody's 200 pounds. All right. I think the sweet spot starts to happen in about a year from what I have seen in my coaching career. About a year, it's like all of a sudden, all the habits have become a great thing. They're learning more about their body. You're teaching them along the way. And in a year, they're like, I got this. I'm on it. They start to lose weight. All this stuff starts to change. And I literally had a client telling me this the other day. She was like, thank you for just bearing with me because now I feel like everything is just falling into place. And I was like, no, you did the work, you know, but I feel like the year, the year timeline seems to be the sweet spot. And then it just comes down to, can we make coaching affordable enough for people to stay in the ecosystem for that long? Can we, can we get them to spend and invest that money in themselves for that long? Because if more coaches started, started removing that timeline or making more of a realistic timeline before the person purchased, Mm -hmm. I think a we'd have we'd have a we'd have a higher barrier to entry into coaching, which would make coaching better. Mm -hmm. And I think we'd have better outcomes from coaching, so the industry in general would be more respected. Because right now it's a joke. Like mm -hmm. it, like coaching is viewed as voodoo witchcraft bullshit. Mm -hmm. It just is because there's so many of these fucking functional medicine quacks, or then you get the carnivore people, and then the plant people are yelling at the carnivores, and the carnivores are yelling at the plants. And then the high rep people are yelling at the low rep people and the power lifters are yelling at the body. Everybody's fighting with somebody and it, and it degrades our knowledge because I know some coaches that have brains bigger than any doctor I've ever met. They have mm -hmm. brains bigger than any fucking professor I've ever met. They have so much knowledge and help to be able to offer. But the only thing that's missing 99 out of 100 times is the understanding and the support of human psychology is what is making Mrs. Jones sit in front of that cupboard at nine o'clock at night, feeling hopeless, feeling down, feeling alone and wanting to eat that tin of cookies and then mm -hmm. continuously making them, right? The macros and the calorie knowledge won't help her. That's not what she knows. She shouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. She knows that training makes her feel good. She knows that walking 12,000 steps is good for her. She knows that going to bed at nine is good. We all, like most of us know this stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's what I posted the other day. I said, don't think that you're special because you're a fucking coach who understands insulin resistance. Anybody can Google that shit in 20 minutes. Right. What and makes you what makes you a good coach is if you're able to support that individual in their toughest moments and then making yourself accessible to them so that they can continually make that good positive decision and then build on those decisions. That's why it's imperative to not outprice yourself or, mm -hmm. or make it so unreasonable because the people that have the money probably don't need the help. Mm -hmm. Like if somebody could afford $600 a month or one of these $1,000 a month programs that people are selling, they probably have everything they need. They just need to be at their hands. They're, they need a little hand holding mm -hmm. versus the people that are actually struggling with health induced weight gain mm -hmm. are the ones that can't afford us and the ones that need us the most. And that's why mm -hmm. I want to really like, that's why I put out an offer. I said, let's, I will give you six months of coaching for a thousand dollars. I saw that just to prove to you that it's not a money problem, mm -hmm. nor is it an information problem. It's an act. It's an accountability and support problem. 100%. Yeah. And I fully agree with that because I've seen a lot of people do this too, where they also scare the client away. Cause like, for example, I have a shit ton of knowledge in the functional space. Do I always use it? Hell no. Because what am I going to do? This person comes to me, they're already overwhelmed. They're getting into an uncomfortable area. And then I'm like, you got to take 37. I would never put somebody on this, but I'm just like, <laughs> some of these people are doing this. So I'm just using it as an example. You got to take 37 supplements. You have to do deep breathing 30 times a day. We're only going to go on 20 minute walks, but you have to have your noise canceling headphones with the 240 hertz. You know, I mean, like this shit's getting insane. And what are you doing when you do this to people? You're setting them up for failure right off the bat because these poor people, they they can't do all this stuff. It's overwhelming enough for them to apply maybe tracking their food and hitting a workout three times a week. And you just added 500 things to their already huge list of things to do. Like, why would you do that? That's And then they feel like a failure and they quit and boom, they didn't get to their goal. And you're also majoring in the minors. Mm-hmm. Like that's what the problem with like the Hubermans and the Atias are, is, is these guys are, are, are trying to over communicate and oversell this complicated bullshit of like the way that the sun hits your eyes and the vitamin D conversion into serotonin and blah. Like Mrs. Jones, who's 190 pounds, who's got a fucking HBA1C of seven 
and you know who's got a fasted insulin or a fasted glucose number of 120 upon waking doesn't need blue light blocking glasses and she doesn't need to be rubbing her feet in the grass she needs to control her fucking diet she needs them to start understanding that portion control and not stuffing stuff down that hole in your mouth is always going to be the easy thing to do so she's probably has to address mental issues Mm -hmm. am i resilient to stress do i have coping mechanisms built in am i dealing with childhood trauma do i have a good relationship with my spouse Am I a shitty or ineffective mother? And that's creating a strife between me and my kids. And that's why I'm overeating. Mm -hmm. Most of this stuff doesn't happen by accident. It happens because you've, you've left something undealt with at some point. And now as a 40 something year old woman, you have to come back and revisit that. And that's a really uncomfortable thing to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree with all of that. And I, I mean, I do, there's also a little bit of in the functional space, right? People are like, oh, well, you don't have to do labs. It's not necessary. Well, it isn't necessary, but I also feel that does have some qualities because you can be like, hey, listen, let's also measure progress based on health markers. Let's sure. get you healthy. Let's get you feeling good. Because if you're not healthy and you're not feeling good, you're also going to be a little bit resistant to losing weight. So let's have multiple markers that mark our success beyond just the scale as well let's get you feeling good yeah i have kind of like my five non-scale things that i would say are number one is and these are not in any particular order but when you could step on a scale and exhibit no emotional reaction to it that's that's a big win Mm -hmm. uh walking into the gym and feeling comfortable inside the weight section and knowing that if like one of the exercises in your program uh, one of the machines is being used, you know how to be able to pivot and do that same movement with some other implement. That's number two. Number three, being able to navigate a restaurant menu without any problems whatsoever, uh, which would go and coincide with number four, which is learning how to build a plate and knowing mm-hmm. that that plate can always be the same thing in any environment, no matter where you are. And then I would say number five is being able to go on vacations, go and go to parties and be on holidays and not have any stress or overwhelm about what the resulting actions are going to turn into from a scale perspective when you come back. Mm-hmm. So if you can master those five things, and if that's those five levels of comfort could be instilled into your life, there's no reason why that individual can't manage their weight for a lifetime. Right. I agree. So let's dive into this a little bit. New Year's is coming. Everybody is ready to start making that change. Where, what, where should somebody start? It can be seem real overwhelming and there's a lot of information out there and so many crappy coaches putting bad information out there. What's the best place to start? I'm going to say just, just actually, before you do anything, evaluate what you're already doing. Like I, I want somebody to have an understanding of what their why and what their vision is. Mm-hmm. Like, why do I want to change? Like if, if somebody's saying like, I want this change or this transformation to occur, dive deep into where that's coming from and what's driving that feeling. Because I think the reality is, is uh, my buddy, Jeb Stewart Johnston, I don't know if you follow him, but he's big on emotional eating. He's awesome. I'll send you his account once we're done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jeb likes to flip conventional uh, coach speak onto its head a little bit. And I know like we always like say stuff like, well, motivation doesn't precede action. Action precedes motivation and blah, blah, blah. He's like, well, motivation is real, literally the reason why you do something. It's called a motive for a reason. So why do you want to start eating healthier? Is it because you feel like shit? Do you not actually, is your quality of life bad? Mm-hmm. And I had this conversation with one of my clients today. She works in the healthcare field. Um, she's not a fat person, but she's got fat to lose. She's got a couple underlying health conditions. Her consistency is leave something to be desired. And she admits that. But I asked her, I said, I said, are you unhappy with your quality of life? Like, are you unfulfilled? Are you unhappy in general? And the answer that she gave me was no. I said, so you technically really don't need me. Like you don't need to pay me $150 a month just for to, for me to review information that you're not even consistently providing to me. So if you're, if, if, if you walk into Janine, to January and you can answer that question and say, my quality of life is not bad. I don't suffer from poor energy. I don't have a shitty mood. My digestive health is in, is in a decent spot. My weight is something that it doesn't really bother me. I'm relatively strong. I, okay. So you, there's no reason for you to change. Like just keep doing what you're doing. It's clearly fine for you. Mm-hmm. 
if you have some aesthetic goal, aesthetic endeavor, understand how sacrificial your life is going to have to become Mm -hmm. because your quality of life is not going to improve when you finally reach that target weight. I can promise you that because the pursuit of getting there hopefully teaches you lessons, but those lessons are only learned over a long period of time. If this is a short intervention, let's say you start in January to look a certain way by June, did those six months actually teach you anything about yourself, about your habits, about your wants, your needs, your preferences, what drives you, your motivations, your inspirations, your intrinsic factors? And if the answer to that stuff is no, and you just picked the plan, rode with it, and were successful with it, it's going to unravel after January, after June anyway. Mm-hmm. So you'll sit in that nice body for a couple of months, then you'll eat and drink yourself right back to where you started by September. And that cycle will repeat because nothing actually changed inside your identity didn't change. You didn't become a fit person. You became a mentally unhealthy, disciplined person, essentially. Right. And that I want people to really like, that's why I told people, like, I'm not a fucking fat loss coach. I don't give a shit if you lose weight. Mm-hmm. What I care about is like, do you actually understand what you're doing in the gym and why? Mm-hmm. Do you want to eat to fuel yourself and feel well and every once in a while have an indulgence because you know it soothes your soul? Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you control yourself in those environments and not go ham? And then if you can't control yourself, do you have an emotional disconnect ability from that decision that you made the next day so you're not beating yourself up about it? Mm-hmm. So I would I would really take a look in the mirror and ask yourself some of these leading hard questions because if you don't, somebody's going to have to. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you're just going to pick a plan out of a box and you're just going to buy a program and you're just going to buy another nutrition plan and you're going to execute until you can't. And then it's going to unravel again because the person that started that plan hasn't changed yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, you know how your mess becomes your message, right? That was entirely me, right? I became a very healthy person eating wonderfully, all the things, happy, felt great. But then I looked in the mirror and I was like, I don't look like I wanted to look like the people running across the beach in Baywatch, you know, like that's all I could think of from when I was a kid. Right. And so I decided I was going to be that person and I did all the things to be that person. And I remember the more I turned into that person and then I started competing and doing all these things, the more I actually critiqued myself and hated myself. And it became this very mentally unhealthy thing. And I'll never, ever forget this. And I say it a lot. And I, there's probably a post kicking around on Instagram about it. I remember pulling out my shorts out of one of my drawers once from when I used to compete. And I remember going, holy fuck, these things are so little, like they wouldn't even fit on one of my thighs now. Right. I was, a, <laughs> I was 111 pounds and everyone's like, wow, you look so amazing. And I'm, and I hated myself. You know, and I remember pulling those shorts out. And I was like, you know, the funny thing is, is like you think you're going to get to a certain size and you're going to be you're going to be that's the magic size. Right. That's a magic body composition. And I remember pulling out these shorts and going, yeah, I hated myself the most when I was this size. And it's funny because I weigh 60 pounds more than that almost now. And I love myself more than ever because of how I feel and how I perform and what I do. And I tell people like, sometimes it becomes an obsession when you constantly are critiquing yourself and looking in the mirror and it's not good enough. And that's where the mentally unhealthy portion of it comes. Well, it's like with great physique comes great responsibility. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to know how to walk around in that body. It's almost like if like somebody is never, it's like somebody who's not used to having any nice things. Mm-hmm. They have some beater car, they their, their apartment looks like shit, there's trash everywhere. And then somebody just hands them a Ferrari and says, cool, take care of this thing now. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, fuck, you can't eat in here. You can't drink in here. I'm taking my shoes off every time I walk in. You almost have so much stress about the upkeep of that new thing you just got. Mm-hmm. You can't even enjoy driving it. Mm-hmm. So like people, you get start, you get to a point where like I'm seeing every ab line, I can see veins in every reflection I walk by. Everybody's giving me compliments, and you're just riding this very artificial high. Mm-hmm. And then at any moment, any one thing can just make the house of cards just completely crumble because you're not living in a place that's secure, that feels safe, or that feels like you even belong there. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you're rented that body, and then you know you have to give it back at some point. 100%. And I tell people like, I can relate. I, I mean, I work with a lot of recovering competitors now, right? It's just become my thing. And I tell them, I'm like, I understand where you're at. 
when people were constantly like, oh, wow, you look, you're, you're eliciting, you're getting a dopamine hit every single time these people say this, right? And you don't want to let them down by being normal. Like, is it okay to just be normal? Like you're fit, your muscles show, you're normal. Like you don't have to be shocking people walking through the grocery store, you know, like, I mean, it's, it's okay. And I'm like, so working with that and realizing that, and I used to think there was an end point too. I'd be like, oh, well, I'll get to this level and and then I won't have to do this. And there's not. So the, the, the harder you're working, the harder you're going to have to keep working. So you got to keep that in mind as well. Yeah. I asked one of my former clients today, cause we still keep in touch. I, and that's the other thing is I, is like a lot of my clients end up becoming very friendly with me because I stopped trying to change them and I allow them the space to change. Mm-hmm. And I, and I always tell them, I'm like, I don't care. I don't, I do not like, I'm not going to bed with your problems anymore. I, I, I used to go, I used to constantly be under stress because my clients weren't getting results mm-hmm. because I, it always made me feel like a shitty coach. It made me feel like I, and that's where the imposter syndrome comes from. And a lot of coaches do beat themselves up about this. And I hear it all the time. And I'm like, listen, as long as you're clear with your expectations, as long as you're clear, clear with your deliverables, as long as both people are on the same page and you did your part, mm-hmm. rest your head at night knowing that you did everything you could do. You cannot fix somebody or change somebody unless they want to be fixed or changed. Uh, a lot of women do this with guys, right? A lot of guys, a lot of women get into shitty relationships with toxic men because they're trying to baby them and change them. And they're trying to make sure, well, he'll change for me. It's like, no, the fuck he won't. He doesn't want to change. If he was going to change as a 35-year-old man, he would have done it already. And it's not going to be you, magically princess, that's going to do it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, we've heard the cliche, the pain of the pain needs to be greater than the pain of the change. That does kind of apply. I think some people do have to naturally hit rock bottom to really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know for me, like tearing my Achilles is a big wake-up call. Like I don't want to just be this fucking block-headed meathead who doesn't move in multiple directions, who can't stand seven minutes on a football field before he tears his Achilles. I want to be an athletic... <laughs> 40 year old man who looked and like, I'll never lose my shoulders. I'll never lose my traps. It's not hard to maintain muscle mass once you have it. So like if you dedicate yourself to building a, a, an unbelievable foundation of muscle and strength, maintaining it is fucking easy. It's mm-hmm. three days a week of full body workouts with an RP of eight and some decent nutritional control. And you're there, you're good. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. like people, people want to achieve and then they completely backpedal. Whereas for me, like I want to just keep like slowly, incrementally layering little things, changing some stuff around, changing the reason why I do things. Like right now, I like being in San Diego is hard because you're surrounded by a lot of bodybuilders here. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a big bodybuilder, but it's it's more of a it's not like a competitive science-based fun bodybuilding community it's a very aesthetic showy douchey bodybuilding community so a lot of people here have this psychology of like i have to keep up with the joneses so it's like i have to have my body like this year round mm-hmm. and we all we just know that that's unrealistic you're not going to be you know 12 percent as a woman 365 days a year unless you want to kill yourself well, I mean, they can maintain there. There's plenty of people that will be like, oh, well, I maintain it. But for how long? Lots of these people are super young or early in their journey. I say you can only have the gas pedal hammered to the ground so long before you crash. Yeah. Or, or what are the what are the psychological repercussions? What are the physiological repercussions from being that lean for that long? And then just like, are you actually happy? Like, are you doing things in your life that are fulfilling you? Like, I have so many people that I talk to on the phone. And it's just like dread and misery and like, oh, how you doing? Oh, just getting by. Like, you don't have a fucking calorie problem. You have a mental issue that needs to be Mm -hmm. dealt with. You need counseling. You need Mm -hmm. to find a purpose in life. Like, if the only reason why you hired a coach was to, like, get skinny for fucking Cancun three months from now, you're still going to be a twat when you get back from Cancun. You're still going to be a miserable human being when you get back because you haven't changed who you are. Right. And that that's going to drill. That's going to trickle into your relationships with your peers. It's going to trickle down into how you deal with your children, into how you deal with your loved ones, and how you show up in the world. So the weight has nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. It's got. I mean, I know plenty of women that are two hundred pounds overweight, and they're fine. Mm-hmm. Like the Lizzos of the world, like yep, the happiest clams, making money, enjoying their life, singing their brains out, eating fucking barbecue every three hours, and they don't give a shit. Yeah. But they're also not the ones who are complaining about how they look and feel mm-hmm. because they're happy because they're happy on the inside. It's the ones that are 
just constantly looking for this extrinsic validation of who they are. They need to have, like somebody has to tell me I'm pretty or else I'm not going to be pretty. Right. Somebody has to tell me I matter or else I don't matter. It's like, well, if you keep looking for that, that's all you're ever going to want. Right. As opposed to seeking it for yourself and finding out from the inside out who you are, what do you want, and why are you here? Mm -hmm. I think this is a huge thing to consider too when you're getting into your journey. Like, like you said, find out your why. Like, what is it? So, I guess another thing you you brought up being able to eat at a restaurant and find the good things on the menu. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so. I spent a lot of time. I used to spend a lot of time in the Midwest. I mean, not, you're not really in the you're on the West Coast, but you're in the Northwest, which doesn't really count. Mm -hmm. um, so you're essentially in the Midwest. I, I'm so, hiding up there by Canada. Yeah. So any of your big chain restaurants are always a good go to. Like, let's say, like you know, your Applebee's, your Outback, your Texas Roadhouse, those national chain brands. Great places to eat, Cheesecake Factory, great place to eat because you can customize anything. You mm -hmm. can tell them I'm allergic to dairy, soy, gluten, wheat. Everything. You tell them the laundry list and they will literally just bring you a piece of chicken on top of rice mm -hmm. because they don't they don't want to get sued. They don't want you to get fucked up like they are going to do whatever they can do to not keep their to keep their brand status hot. Mm -hmm. Not going to happen at a mom and pa restaurant where like you stop in Missouri and on the road and you're like, I want three, egg, three hard boiled eggs and two egg whites and a little like they'll be like, fuck you, go get it yourself. <laughs> So if you if you have trouble eating out, understand that like if you just order off the menu as is, you're going to be exposed to all sorts of calories because there's so much fat in that food that they're using oil with that you have no idea how to quantify. Mm -hmm. You have to be number one rule at a restaurant is you have to be open and willing to make accommodations to something that you want if your intention is to replicate how you would eat at home. Mm -hmm. Now, if your expectation of a restaurant is I'm going to come here and enjoy exactly what they offer then you don't need to make any accommodations, but you also have to be responsible for what you eat. Mm -hmm. So if you go into an Outback Steakhouse and you eat the onion loaf, and then you have the fried shrimp, and then you have the steak with the nasty shit on the mashed, on the potatoes, and then you have the dessert, how you feel afterwards is your responsibility because that's what you chose. But you could also walk into that restaurant and choose to lighten things up a little bit. You can get just the baked potato with nothing on it. You can get the steak that's grilled and hopefully with no oil and no butter. And you can tell them that. Mm -hmm. You can get no appetizer. You can get uh, cocktail shrimp instead of fried shrimp. So there are, a and then you can just skip the dessert. Or mm -hmm. like if you're somebody who likes dessert, skip the cocktail and get the dessert. Yes. So there's ways to like accommodate and find ways to reduce calories. Now, are you still going to be able to make progress if you make all those decisions? It's yet to be determined because the reality is, is going out to eat should be an escape. Mm -hmm. Like the re like I, and I've talked about this multitudes of times. Like I used to go out to eat when I was a kid with my family, maybe once every three to five, three to six months, because it was a special occasion. Now everybody's a foodie. Everybody's going out to eat all the time. People are constantly ordering Grubhub and Uber Eats and all this other stuff. So we're just exposed to more and more food that's not under our control mm -hmm. and it's convenient. So I think you have to understand if you're going to choose to eat out multi multiple times per week, you have to be that much more careful and attentive to what you're ordering and building a plate just means I have an abundance of protein, probably asking them for a double portion because there's no way they're average they're gonna give you four to six ounces yeah i was gonna say maybe. three to three and a half to four ounces yeah maybe so you have to double that up that's number one so just expect to pay double at every place you go to so that's gonna mm -hmm. be expensive which i mean a salad for me at like one of those build your own salad places cost me 35 bucks <laughs> me too yeah like easily with all the shit i put on it it's 35 dollars. i might as well just eat it home mm -hmm. um skip things like cheese dressing on the side Hold the nuts because that's just adding more and more fat to your food, if, especially if you're getting salads. Mm -hmm. Anything that's like a build your own type of thing, like build your own rice bowl, build your own poke bowl, build your own salad. Those are always safe bets. Steakhouses are always pretty easy. Mm -hmm. Breakfast is is usually pretty easy because you can customize and say, I want all egg whites. I want this on the side. I want that on the side. And just don't be afraid to like advocate for yourself. Mm -hmm. Like understand that you are the customer. Don't be a, a fucking lunatic about it. Be like, well, I saw oil on my egg. Like just know that they're probably going to fuck it up mm -hmm. because they're paying some kid 12 bucks an hour in the back to throw shit together. He's not sitting there with a measuring spoon and a, and a, and a scale weighing shit for you. He's throwing stuff onto a plate as fast as he possibly can to replicate hopefully what the ticket said mm -hmm. so you got to give them some some 
some grace and some mm-hmm. some leniency too. But just, as long as you're advocating for yourself, you understand that it should be an abundance of protein, natural starch, vegetables, and fruit. But also just limit the amount of times you eat out per week. Like don't mm-hmm. let that be the staple meals that you're having. If you're eating, let's say if if I think people should be eating about four meals a day, that's kind of my rule for most people. Like anywhere between three and five is going to work. Mm-hmm. Becomes a personal preference. Like let's take, let's just use the number four. That's 28 meals per week. If 25 out of 28 meals per week are controlled and cooked by you, mm-hmm. I, I can't see a world in which you're overeating those three meals so egregiously that you're putting on weight. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a, this is a great thing to visit here also, because how many people do you know that they, they are unprepared and they jump into fast food or jump in to grab something and then they scarf it down in the car. It lasts 30 seconds. It's gone. You know, that might happen with donuts. They just totally missed out on the experience. You can still go eat out with your friends and family, have a good experience, be reasonable with your food, and it doesn't become a restricted behavior anymore versus people that they they binge eat a couple times during the week and then they go and they have their free meal, which includes dessert and all of the giant whatever else they can get their hands on, the blooming onion and all of that crap. And then next thing you know, they've totally erased any progress that they may have made because they have blown it out of the water so many times. Whereas I liked what you said there. You were like, okay, so maybe have a a little bit of dessert or split it with your husband or something like that. Um, You know, if you have a significant other, your kids, whatever, split it with them, eat the healthier stuff and then have a little bit of a dessert. You get to enjoy the company. You get to enjoy a little bit of not cooking for yourself. And you always also got to have a portion of dessert and it didn't set you as far off track. Well, it also comes down to what was the intention of that meal out? Was the intention of the meal out to go and enjoy time with the people that you're with? Mm-hmm. Or was it ritualized gluttony? Yeah. Is it, I, I mean, listen, I, I I stopped drinking temporarily in my late 20s because I was just going down a bad path where it was like drugs and drinking constantly every weekend. And I replaced drugs and booze with food. Mm-hmm. So now instead of going out on Fridays and Saturday nights, my my lame excuse was I'm going to sit here. I'm going to order a pizza and I'm going to order wings and I'm going to get the dessert and I'm going to eat all that shit in one night because I'm, I'm substituting one vice for another vice. Mm -hmm. And during that time, I actually ended up gaining a ton of weight and starting to get real sloppy with my physique because instead of drinking and actually being on point with my nutrition and like binge drinking, I was just over consuming this garbage, overly ritualized, gluttony that i was just sitting there just trying to just consume as much of it as i could Mm -hmm. because that that was my way of justifying well i'm not drinking tonight Mm -hmm. and that would have been worse because i would have been out till three and i would have done blow and i would have been miserable but it's like i probably would have been actually better off net going out drinking and doing blow right so you have to find the reason why this pattern of consumption keeps being so extreme like Mm -hmm. And I'm so guilty of this. Like, I know, like, I, I have a very reasonable idea about this, and I'm very smart when I talk about this stuff, and I can say it to anybody. But when it comes down to practicing it, like, there's no reason why I should have finished a half a tin of cookies on Friday. Mm-hmm. But again, my decision making comes from me smoking pot. Mm-hmm. So, like, I know that when I'm high, there's no governor on my consumption. Like, I will just over consume, I will eat tomato sauce out of a jar just to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. But if mm-hmm. I'm sober, I, I I will easily make the best decision. I'll have no craving after dinner. Like I, you know, one of my my coaches, coach always asked me, like, "Are you full?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm always full." Like I'm never, like even right now on 2,200 calories, I'm full because mm-hmm. I eat nutrient dense, whole, real foods. Like I'm not eating garbage just to fill up calories. I'm eating, you know, 2,200 calories today was multiple servings of chicken thighs and chicken breast. It was some chicken deli meat. It was a piece of sourdough toast with some honey on it. It was a bowl of oatmeal with frozen berries in it. So it's real natural whole food with one protein shake. Mm-hmm. And then for dinner, it'll be a bowl of beef and rice with some vegetables on it and some type of a condiment. So I'll be full. And the only reason why I'll eat after dinner tonight, if I do, I'm probably not, I'm hoping I'm not going to, I'm not saying that, but I'm hoping I won't, is because I'm stoned and I don't give a fuck. So mm-hmm. understand, understand, like if you're somebody who has triggers, whether it's booze, pot, meals out nights out like just understand that if you can't moderate then you have to abstain for some period of mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. Uh, my podcast partner jimmy talks about this very well it's just the moderator abstainer paradox it's like if mm-hmm. you can't actually control yourself around certain things 
then just don't expose yourself to those things. It might suck for a little while because you're like, well, that's just restrictive. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you might have to fucking restrict because you mm-hmm. have no control. Like you don't tell a alcoholic, no, just wean off the beer, buddy. Or like wean off the heroin. You're like, mm-hmm. no, fucking cut it cold turkey inside of a chamber while people are medicating you so you don't die. Right. Now, I don't... love this. I love this. This but makes food, me happy. Food is such an available... <laughs> cheap indulgence right it's ever like a drug is so hard to get i mean usually it's hard to get mm-hmm. like i can't just be like mm, i feel like a little bit of blow or heroin or Molly no right just now. go to portland oregon you can get whatever you want it's just I, as easy I, I don't trust it there i, I like <laughs> california drugs are tested well so i like california drugs but like food you, you could be sitting on the couch and be like i want stacy's pita chips i want a pint of ben and jerry's and i want a meatball parm sub Mm-hmm. And within 40 minutes, all that stuff is on your doorstep and you just, yep. you, you're just able to get up off the couch, walk seven feet and get it. Mm-hmm. So the ease of access is really the other problem too. So it's, if you're somebody who's got kids and then you're blaming your fat gain on eating kids snacks, well, Hey, don't buy kids snacks. Yeah. And maybe your kids probably would benefit from that also, mm-hmm. or find alternatives to give them that are better for them so that you guys are all doing this cohesively as a family unit. Right. A lot of times people don't have that support at home, right? Like a wife will start a fat loss journey and the husband doesn't give a shit mm-hmm. or the kids aren't on board. And now the mom is setting up the kids for disaster because she's weighing everything and she's telling them that she has to lose fat. And it's all about fat loss mm-hmm. as opposed to, no, I'm just doing that. Mommy's doing this to feel better. Mm-hmm. Mommy doesn't feel good. Her digestive health isn't great. I'm bloated. I fart a lot. So I just want to feel better guys. And maybe if you ate a little bit more vegetables, you'd feel good too. Yeah. Now it's the mindset shift as opposed to mommy's weighing herself every three minutes and then throwing up after every meal. This is huge Aram, because when I, my daughter was probably about three or four when I got done doing my last set of bodybuilding shows. And I remember I always had this shredded six pack, like 24, seven, 365, And she was like, I mean, she, that's all she ever knew. Right. And I start gaining a little bit of weight back and stuff. And she's like, mom, your tummy is fat. She said, and I still had abs and she's like, mom, your tummy is fat. And I was like, whoa. I was like, okay, Lila. I said, it's normal actually to have a little bit of fat on your tummy. It's okay. You know, like that's totally an okay thing. I said, and I had to like break it down and explain why it was different and all of this kind of stuff. And that was a huge, like, introspectively i was like well shit i better never talk about dieting around this child because i probably just started something huge like everything we do is for health i'm like we eat protein because protein builds big muscles and we do this and we you know you have to break it down and i think like from a parenting aspect i hate that when parents are like oh i ate my kids whole thing of doritos for their lunches i'm like listen if you don't think it's good for you then why is it okay for your kids you know i never i never understood that like i mean i i've i've chosen not to have children but like i just never understood this idea like one part of me almost wants to have kids out of spite just mm-hmm. to show other people that I can do it and that you can't, you don't have to fuck them up. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a social experiment, like a fitness nutrition experience. Like I'm going to go have kids just so I can show you how healthy they can I've be. I've done it for you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate I, it. I've done it for you. I mean, I probably shouldn't have had kids and I did and they, they became that social experiment. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so there's that, but like literally my kids will, people are like, somebody asked me this in the gym recently. They were like, do you just cook your meals and have your family do stuff separate? And I was like, no. We all eat the same thing. Literally, we all eat like bros at my house. I actually, my son, he's 17 and he makes fun of me about it. He's like, if my girlfriend comes over, I could be like, what meal do you want here? You want the chicken and rice or the chicken and rice? And he jokes about it. But everybody's meals are portioned and all they got to do is grab their container, color coded square, whatever it happens to be that week. I'm like, hey, yo, yours are the round ones. Mine are the square ones. They They grab it and they throw it in the microwave and it's normal for them. That is their fast food, right? We don't eat out a lot. They are used to eating a protein and a carb source of some kind. They can tell you what's a protein and a carb and a fat. And then, you know, I try to make their snacks as healthy. I give them some normal like kids snacks eh, ish, like we're not eating Doritos. We're probably eating Siete tortilla chips or something that's a little bit better. But yeah. I just try to give them a better option and tell them why. Well, that's the, the, the why part is the important part is you're actually mm-hmm. spending the time to educate. You're spending the time to create awareness, to not create a stigma behind it. Like there's so much psychological work that you're doing that a lot of other parents are not doing. And then mm-hmm. that's it's diet restrict, diet restrict, binge, diet restrict, binge. Mm-hmm. And that that patterns like, I'm sure if I, if somebody else was listening to this, that was like a, you know, 
whatever body positive advocate or something, they'd be listening to you and thinking that you're like this disordered child abuser. Whereas I think that every parent should do what you do. But the problem is, is that you're the weird one and they're all the normal ones. Right. Yeah. Well, and to take it one step further in my house. So my kids have been around fitness and big jacked giant people a lot. And you know, steroids are a big problem with teenagers now and stuff. My son, he's jacked super jacked like shredded peeled what teenager isn't but he works out he's in really good shape and we've had to have that kind of talk too because he's like mom he's like does so-and-so do steroids i'm like fuck yeah they do like i i said i know they do i said and he so we have to have that talk i'm like listen not for you you're gonna crush your growth you're gonna do all i said this is not something you should be considering so you know, let's talk further about this. And we have to go down that rabbit hole and be real. And people are like, what you talk about steroids with your kids. And I'm like, fuck yeah, I do. Like that's- mean, you have to, you have to talk about where the penis goes. You yeah. have to talk about drugs. Like you talk about all this stuff. There's, there's, it needs to be a common conversation, like, mm-hmm. there, but that, but that's, this is a systemic problem. This isn't a household issue because most people, their parents don't even have education on this stuff. Mm-hmm. There is no formal nutrition guidelines or education that are reasonable. It's just this crap cookie cutter bullshit that doesn't really make any sense. The food pyramid is stupid. All this other stuff that we get at, at school and health class doesn't make any sense. It's not real world applicable whatsoever. It's not individualized to anybody. Mm-hmm. So we can't expect parents to be making good decisions for their children because they're not even making good decisions for themselves. Right. Yeah. It's unfortunate, but it is. Um, I mean, yeah, that's a whole nother conversation, I suppose. But part two, part I, I, two. I will say that when we were at Swiss, did you sit on the steroid panel by chance? Did you go in and mm-hmm. into that one? That was mm-hmm. a really good one. And I was pretty pumped because there was a guy sitting in front of me that had two of his young boys with him in it. And I was like, that is the good, like, I think they are probably like a football dad or I don't know what. And I was yeah. like, this is badass because this guy is making sure that his kids know the whys and the and the why nots and what what could the potential things that could go wrong and all this kind of stuff and i was like you know this is a you know it's an uncomfortable position maybe to be in as a parent but man way to go for this guy that was pretty awesome yeah he's doing it the right way and again i just wish more more, I, i wish more parents were active with their own health education and i think that would bleed down into the kids and that we would have a much better situation overall but that's you know that's gonna have to start at a level that again makes coaching accessible for the every person mm-hmm. so i if you could give us any more tidbits on anything that could help get somebody started or things that you want to leave on this podcast today what would it be the basics are always going to work and it's Anybody that's got the physique that you want has mastered the basics. So if you keep running away from the basics and looking for the acute protocols, you're going to create the fastest amount of change. You're always going to be looking for more and more of that flashy bullshit. Mm-hmm. So just believe blindly in the basics, like the way that you believe in God and the way that you believe in government, all this other shit, believe in the basics, water, steps, sleep, nutrient dense, real foods that you can pronounce and see and strike training. And understand that as you get better at any one of those things, you start just dialing knobs up and down based on what your desire for results are. Some sacrifice will always be required, but it doesn't ever have to be extreme unless the goal is extreme. And just know that this is not something you're ever going to stop. You're going to start. If you start today, you will stop when you're dead. That's when mm-hmm. it stops. Um, but that's really the best advice I can give anybody. And at that point, it just comes down to individuality. And at that point, either DM me or hire Connie and, You'll be fine. Well, if they want to DM you and find you, then how do they do that? Oh, uh, four weeks to the beach is my Instagram name. It's the number four and the number two, uh, four weeks to the beach. That's where I spend most of my time. I will answer every DM. I'll help you for free as much as I can. So feel free to bother me. Um, I host an event for coaches and enthusiasts called the real coaches summit. It's coming up in March into 2024 in Vegas, uh, about 200 seats sold so far. We have another 50 or 60 to go. So if you want to come and learn and network with some of the best in the industry, that's a massive opportunity. Food and booze is included in your ticket. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's not one of these stuffy events where you have to walk around with your wallet and figure out where your next meal is going to be. You get to meet everybody, you eat with everybody, you eat with the presenters, you eat with the speakers. Everybody's kind of immersed, jumbled together. It's a good time. So I got that, took that passion project on this year, but that's really it. It's the event and it's coaching and 
it's delivering as much applicable information as I can. Well, I love that. This has been an awesome talk. Thank you so, so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Connie. I appreciate it. I apologize for the darkness as the sun sets here in California. <laughs> I see I, that. I, I bought one of these little fancy on the computer ring lights, but asked me if I actually set it up yet. I have not. It's so all good. Ho hopefully part two, it'll, I'll have it sitting up here and it can illuminate my mug. Okay. I love it. I'm going to hold you to it. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Now, if I can just hit, there we go. Stop. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about me, my online programs, or to inquire about coaching, please visit www.connienightingale.com. And remember, nothing in the contents of this show is intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any illness, and it is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult with your primary care physician before implementing any new health protocols.